0: welcome to the imperfect brand the only business podcast that listens to real business leaders talk about running real businesses so we can all benefit from the sort of hard-won knowledge that makes it easier to do what we're trying to do i'm benjamin catley richardson your host and today i'm speaking with steve pearson founder of valve and process solutions in chesterfield valve and process solutions specialize in providing key equipment to the processing industry they're the ones who keep us fed watered and supplied since founding the business in 2005 Steve has made every effort to stand out from his competition leading from the front and being a committed regular on LinkedIn Steve welcome to the podcast thanks Ben thanks for having me thank you for coming along I've got a question to kick us off with just to break the ice and I think it's really relevant to to you but also to many businesses which is how important do you think it is for the head of a company like you to be visible to your clients such as through LinkedIn or your marketing?
1: Good question to start off I think um I think it's very very important um I, I think you know when you first start a business it, it's just you and and you're doing the work and you're you know you're, you're toiling away at the, the job as I've learned more over the years I've, I've kind of you know done a bit of you know, research into brand and things like that. And, and you see a lot of the big companies and I, I know we're trying to, you know, analyze what big companies do, but break it down into what those smaller businesses can actually take away from it. But you look at all the great companies and, and they've all really got a figurehead, you know, so you look at Amazon's got Jeff Bezos, you know, Tesla and SpaceX have got Elon Musk, um, you know, uh, Microsoft have got Bill Gates. Virgin is probably the biggest one with Richard Branson, you know, he's he's kind of made a a standout career of it of doing you know marketing stunts and things like that so I I think it's really really important because I think that if a company's got culture and values and things like that and and there is a figurehead that can you know portray those values you know to the to the public I think it it shows where the company's going and what the company's doing it's very very hard to do as a small business you know you, you almost you know I think sometimes people see what you're doing on LinkedIn and social media and they think oh you know that guy wants to be famous or that guy wants to do this, that, and the other. And, and you do have that little bit of a doubt in your mind. But for me, it, it's been important, especially on LinkedIn, to try to get in front of the camera, try get m- my hands dirty and, and show people some of the behind-the-scenes nitty-gritty of, of what we actually do. Um, I, I think, like everything, you'll, you'll get your critics on, on LinkedIn and social media. Um, but you get a lot of promoters and a lot of people that like it as well. So I think it is important. I don't think you can be this faceless organization anymore because the way people relate to companies and, and trust companies, you know, at the end of the day, we sell products and everything about selling is about trust, you know. Um, what you've got to be careful is, and I, I think what I'm, I'm almost conscious about doing is making sure that people don't just think Valve and Process is Steve Pearson. You know, but I don't think people think Virgin is just Richard Branson. I don't think people think Amazon, you know, when you order an Amazon parcel, you're not expecting Jeff Bezos to pull up in his car and push it through your letterbox kind of thing. So I think it really is important. And and it's something I'm trying to do and build. um, But I don't want to be the brand. I'm trying to build my personal brand a little bit. But I don't want to be the brand of valve and process solutions. But you do need a face of it. And I think probably in the olden days, a lot of companies, used to contract that out so you know nike for instance wanted to be associated with all the great sports people michael jordan tiger woods etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think that's how they did it i think over the last maybe five to ten years companies have gone more down the of trying to make the person who makes everything tick be that person so that's how i feel and hopefully that answers your question
0: yeah definitely i think it hooks into why i started the podcast in the first place really because Like you talk about this idea of a personality, of a figurehead at the heart of a business and yet not being what the business is, but it's about being relatable. And I hate it when you hear people talking about being real and being human and stuff like that. But, you know, I think we were talking just before we started the interview about the fact that imperfection. Is kind of being genuine, isn't it? You're being genuine by showing that you're human, by like you were saying, dropping the screwdriver or you know, fluffing up the line or whatever. And that actually you create a human face to the business, which makes it easier for people to then think about working with you. And you know, with the podcast, I wanted to help people to get to the people like you behind the business and understand what you've been through. And I mean, you know, we're here. Obviously, I've invited you today to talk about our own imperfections and to reinforce that fact that learning learning is really just failing in the right direction. So to kind of get to that element of personality, what from your background, from your personal career, have you got to share with us? What imperfect moment have you got to
1: share with us? I think we did discuss this a bit earlier. As, as I say, when you first mentioned doing the podcast and you said, you know, could you come up with some imperfect things and a few problems? I was like, I can write a list of hundreds. There's no problem with that. Um, But it it does get you thinking about what you've done and and how one thing has led to another. And I think you mentioned there, you know, this failing forward. And and as I said, I don't don't think of it as failing or making mistakes. You know, very much here in in the environment, we, we try to create for the team here. We try to create an environment where they can make mistakes and where they're comfortable making mistakes. But we have such a good process in place that it stops those mistakes affecting the customer. So they've got a place that they can learn and they can try things and they can be brave and bold and, and try new ideas. So I tried to think of lots of different things. And as I said to you before, I, I could come up with lots of things where, you know, valves didn't work properly or we had problems with valves, but that'd be a little bit boring. So I tried to come up with something that I think most, if not all business people um, could relate to. And the the kind of story I want to tell a little bit is if, if we go back to when the business started in 2005. So I left a um, quite a large corporation, a national business, um, and I've decided to go out on my own. So started doing the work, um, you know, doing okay. Um, it was just me for a few years, and, and then we added um, a couple of team members. And we did we did okay for quite a few years. And, you know, my, my background was selling and sales, so the sales side of it, um, you know, came quite naturally. And we did it, I'd, I'd probably say we were, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years in. Um, And we were going okay, as I say, and we were, you know, we were adding to the team and and building. And then there was kind of a day that came up, we got to the end of a year. And we'd, we thought we'd had a really good year, you know. And, you know, my philosophy of of running the business originally was, you know, if, if we buy it for this, and we add some margin to it, and we sell it for that, we'll be good and we'll, we'll make money. And that's generally what we did. And a couple of times previous to that, some guys that I know that ran bigger companies, we'd had conversations and, and they'd always say to me, Oh, yours is just a lifestyle business. And I was kind of like, what's a lifestyle business. And, you know, you start thinking about that. And, and what they really meant was that, you know, what we were turning over and what we were earning was literally to pay the staff, pay me. And, and, and that was about it. And as I say, we've been going on for quite a long time, probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe nine, 10 years, something like that. And then we got to the end of the year. And the way I used to run the business, and when I look back now, it's absolutely frightening. We used to work all year as hard as we could. And we'd do all the accounting, and we'd put everything on stage or whatever we were using at the time. And then at the end of the year, I had a really good accountant. And he'd come and he'd sit down with me at the end of the year, and would go through all the numbers. And then I'd sit down and say, right, how did we do? What did we make? How much money did we make? And up until that point, it'd be, you know, you know, you've done this and you've done that and you've made a few quid. And then we had this really good year and we got to the end and the accountant came and he sat down with me and he basically said, you haven't made any money. You've just about broken even. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, you know, you've, you've paid all the staff and you've paid your rent and you've done this, that and the other, but there's nothing left over. And it, I don't know why just on that, that particular day, that, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, what am I doing here? I'm working this hard. And that's all there is, all there is to show for it. So we kind of dusted ourselves off a little bit. And um, you know, we had to start thinking then, right, what are we in it for? What are we here for? And what can we do about it? So when you talk about making mistakes, when I look back, I've been making a mistake for probably 10 years and not really not really knowing it you know and there's that great saying you don't know what you don't know until you know what you don't know but it it was literally that this veil was lifted that I didn't actually understand business I understand selling valves and I understood sales but I didn't actually understand business we'd want to buy some stock so I'd put my I'd lick my finger and put how much stock we're going to buy you know, some of our stock buying regime was if a customer buys two, we buy three and we put one in stock. You know, so it was really that awakening moment of you're not doing this right. You've made a real big mistake. If you're going to carry on for the... and And what I what I realized was that I didn't have a company. I had a job. I came to work and I did a job and I got paid for it. I didn't have a company and that's not what I set out to do. So there was some real soul searching over the next couple of weeks and and trying to think about, you know, what affects what we're trying to do. Um, I actually, eventually, I got a a business coach, which was a big step for me um, because I'd worked in national and um, big organizations. And I always linked the word coach with consultant. And we'd had a lot of consultants who come in and charge me a load of money and don't really know what they're talking about. Um, so I got talking to this, um, this, um, company who, who, did national coaching and they had business coaches, et cetera. And a couple of great things they said to me, which really got me to sign. One thing they said, um, was, is your business working? And I was kind of like, you've just caught me at the right time. Cause it's kind of working. And then he said to me, would it thrive without you being there? And that was really interesting to me. So that got me thinking. And then the other thing was why have a coach? And I thought I was quite good at what I did. And then you started analysing and you, you look at some of the famous sports people throughout. You know, Tiger Woods has a coach. You know, uh, Rafa Nadal has a coach. They're at the top of their game and they're really good at what they do, but they have a coach. Why do they have a coach? So I got involved with this coach and he was a great guy and he, he, he took me right back to the basics and we just laid a few things out. And again, it's that you don't know what you don't know. And, and what became fundamentally clear to me was before we started looking at the business was we had to understand what, what a business actually does and what a business means. And, and one of the great things about a business is a business is really there to make cash. You know, we used to think we were there to make profit, but you're actually there to make cash. That's, you know, what do they say? Profit for vanity, a turnover for vanity, profit for sanity and cash is king. I didn't understand that. So that was one thing to learn. And then it was really to start fundamentally understanding the numbers, you know, what do the numbers actually mean? Not just at the end of the year, but what do they mean every single day that you're living and breathing the business? You know, what's your profit? What's your overheads? You know, what's your net profit? What's your gross profit? What are your costs? What stock is? What are your debtor days? All these kinds of things. So for me, it was a really steep learning curve. And we put, it's not difficult to do, but until you know what you're looking for, it's quite hard to put for. So, so that's what we put in place within the next three to five years the business went nuts it just it it grew and it grew and it grew and and, you know we we're still on this trajectory of of growth and we're adding people but we're also creating we're creating cash and once you create cash you can do a lot more with your business so for me you know probably not a mistake as a lot of people say oh we made that mistake that day or it was it was worse than that it was a long 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 mistake Uh, but only when I realized it, I realized that I'd, I'd actually think. And it's, then you kind of look at how you get over it. So I got over it personally by learning more about how to run a business and the numbers. And then I read a great book called uh, The Great Game of Business. And that talks about how you should share information with your team. And one thing that hit me really, really strongly about that was um, I had a guy working for me at the time. And previous companies, he'd actually been made redundant twice. And he came to work for us and we share the numbers with the team every day so every day every week every month every quarter every year we share all the numbers what's the sales what's the turnover what's the profit what are the overheads etc etc even the guy who runs the warehouse for me comes in and he can tell you what our numbers are so we've got this kind of open book policy and it came to me when this young guy came to me and he said Do you know what he said it's such a breath of fresh air working here because we actually know what's going on he says when i was made redundant he said basically." the bosses walk in one day, they call you all into the office and say, well, we've had a terrible year or we've had two terrible years and we haven't made any money and we've got to lay people off. And he said, if we'd have known that six months ago or 12 months ago, we could have worked to try to help and do something about it. So that really galvanized what I was trying to do then. And ever since then, we've had this really open book policy with, with the team. And over the last few years, we've added three, four, five, six, seven staff, whatever. And they've come from big organizations and they come in, and they're, they're almost amazed because they work in their own little departments in these companies, and they don't know what the, they don't know what the goal of the company is, or what the company's trying to do, or how much money the company's making, or whether they're close to getting. You know, I say to a lot of people, "Do you have a bonus in your company?" And they'll say, "Yeah," and I'll say, "Okay, do you know how to get it? Do you know what you need to do to get your bonus?" And they're a bit like, "Well, no, really, it's just paid at the end of the year. Maybe if the bosses feel like we should get the bonus." So we did that, and then I, I just realized then that I needed to extract myself and start working on the business rather than working in the business and and have this great overview or I say great overview of where's the business going you know in my analogy you know the sales team the ops team etc you know they're in the forest cutting down the trees I need to make sure we're in the right forest and it's having that general overview really of is, is that what we're doing so. Yeah, that was, you know, if I, if I can pick the one thing out over the last, you know, 15, 16 years or so, that, would, that for me was a big mistake. And I beat myself up a little bit, Think, well, what if I realised that in year one or year two or year three, where would we be? But again, I think like you told that's the imperfectness of it. If anybody runs a business and they think it's going to be perfect, from, then you're in the wrong job. You really are. So hopefully that answers your question.
0: Yeah, because I think it really hooks into this idea of, of the personal and the business and the thing about you and the thing about the people that are working for you. And you really summed it up perfectly in that way when you said you discovered you had a job, not a business to run. And that, I think, in, in a way, you know, when you start a business, it always is going to feel more like running a business than having a job because, well, a, you don't have the security, do you? You don't have that you know somebody paying you you are in control and then it's almost inevitable you know you talk about if only you knew this in the beginning but you almost there are lessons you can be told and things you can be helped to see but then there are things you have to experience and you almost have to go through an order and it's the idea of you know if you knew it back at the beginning maybe it would have stopped you actually even starting a business at the, in the first place because you would have gone oh, I can't handle this. this is this is a huge endeavor all I want to do is run my own business and be my own boss and I don't want all this other stuff and it only really comes along like you said when you've built something that's doing so well and so large that suddenly you need to take a different role and you know so my immediate thought was what was it that drove you to start the business in the first place what made you want to be running a business and not just having a job again another good question
1: um I think it comes to, there's a couple of key things really um, to answer that question for you. I think one thing was that um, my parents were self employed. Um, so if I, if I go back to very early days, you know, I didn't see my parents going to a job. I didn't see them going out. You know, my parents um, had shops and, and various different things that they'd done. My dad had been an engineer and then he, he gave that up to actually uh, open a shop. But, you know, I, I always saw that they were in charge of their own destiny, as it were. Um, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So, I think from that side, that was probably early formative, without you really knowing it. That, but you were seeing every day that you know your parents didn't have somebody telling them what to do, and you have to be here at a certain time, and you have to go there, and you have to do this. So, so that was interesting. And then, really, it just came about. I think I was working for um, a national company who, who do very similar to what we do, and we were owned by a much bigger company. And we used to go to board meetings and things like that, because I'd, I'd worked my way up and I was at quite a senior level within the company. And, and you'd sit down and you'd, you'd have to go through your numbers and you'd have to do this, that and the other. And you were reporting. And, and basically, in my opinion, they didn't get it. You know, they had a really big, successful business and we were like a bolt on to it. But because we didn't do what all the other parts of the business did, they didn't really understand it. And, you know, there was a lot of people that got wheeled into the meetings, and, you know, everything was done off spreadsheets and it was done. And I know I've just talked about numbers and how important the numbers are, and they are, but there's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be an understanding of the numbers and understanding how the numbers affect things, you know. And and at the end of the day, a lot of those numbers on those pieces of paper are actually people and people's lives and people's hopes and dreams and everything that that can possibly be and big corporations don't see that and I was just fed up I was fed up of people coming in and trying to tell me what to do when I actually didn't you know and their answer to it was cut it back close a branch lay three people up. you know we're struggling for sales and I'm saying we need to take five more sales people and they said no 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 we're not adding any more costs the best way to do is cut your cloth accordingly and lay people off and, and do this and that and I got to a point where unfortunately I'd been involved where I'd I'd been told that we had to close branches and we had to and and sitting across the table from somebody and actually making them redundant is one of the worst things I've ever ever had to do in my life and when I started my own business I more said that is not a route I'm going to go down Um, and we have a saying here that when we create a job now with involvement process solutions it's a position for life that person might not be the right person for the job and they might move on or grow and and move in the business but we don't create a position that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow because i never want to sit across that table from somebody and have to tell them that again and again having good control of the numbers and the finances means that i'm in control of that because i know can i afford to take somebody on what's you know cash flow what's the long-term effect of taking that person on how's it going to affect the business can we afford it Whereas, again, in those early days, we probably didn't grow because I was a bit nervous and a bit apprehensive. So, yeah, it just got to that point one day. Um, you know, I just thought, I've had enough. Um, I'm going to go give it a go. What's the worst that could happen, you know? If it doesn't work in a year, I'll go get a job, you know? And then you, you do it for a while, and it gets to the end of the first year, and you haven't quite done what you thought, but you're too far into it, and it's like, I'll give it another year, and I'll give it another year. Um, and, and that's really what it was. I was just kind of a few of those things that I'd had to do that I didn't think were right. And I didn't want to do that, you know, led me to do it. And then I think on the back of that, it's, what does having your own business give you, you know, for me, it gives me freedom. You know, I don't play well with others. It's, you know, it's, it's quite good to be able to be in charge and and decide what, you know, if I don't want to come into work in a I don't have to come into work. I always do, but because it's a different thing that drives you, but it is, it's just having that flexible and, and, you know, it's great now. I've got a young family. You know, I, I can take to school in the morning. I can pick them up. I can take swimming lessons, et cetera, et cetera. The work still gets done. It just gets done in a different way. So I think that two things, one, having to be told what to do and doing things you didn't like, but also that vision of how life can be better and the freedom that it can bring. And, and you know, there's a long
0: way between those two things, but that's really uh, how it happened. I think that's lovely as well because to you know what we're obviously going to go on to next kind of hooks into this is this idea of um, the challenge that's facing you but also we've talked all the way along about um, you know you're the face of the business but you're not the business you're working to improve the business rather than being caught in the day-to-day business and by doing that you know I work with um, people who are in uh, culture and HR and you know do stuff like that and they're always trying to Convince people. Convince them is wrong word, probably, but you know, show them the benefits of essentially what you're doing, leading from the front, and how leadership is much more about coaching. And you were talking about coaching as well. It's much more about showing how it might be done or where you're traveling to. It's about the direction and the destination, and giving people that sort of motivation and then helping them to do it, rather than like you're talking about with the numbers, almost the wrong numbers. This is what's gotta to have to happen. You're a cost, you know, treating people like a cost. There's a big thing in marketing, or there should be, this should be bigger, probably, about moving towards a zero-based budget, which is um, I don't know the complete ins and outs of it, but the, the overview is basically you change and you change the idea of marketing being a cost that you know you then cut, like you say, you cut your cloth to fit whatever, to it being an investment. Like, well, if we put this much into it, it returns. This much and it's you know equaling out and it's actually a functional arm of, of what we do rather than just a, a payment that we have to make when we've done all the other work and you know that idea then of looking forward and us discussing now about your next challenge the beauty of doing all those things and being a figurehead and being out of the day-to-day is i can ask you what's the biggest challenge you're facing and you are thinking in the bigger picture aren't you you're you're not just thinking in the bigger picture You're able to grapple with it, which, you know, as a business partner myself, I find really exciting to be able to look the long term as well as be depth, you know, delving into the short term. So what is the biggest challenge, the bleeding neck problem that you're tackling at the moment and how are you kind of taking it on?
1: Again, another good question. And as we said before, it does start you thinking about things because, um, you know, one of the big things about running a business is, is trying to plan. And I think, you know, again, going back to that mistake I made before, you know, we were very much living from day to day, week to week, um, hand to mouth, as it were. And as I've, as I've got older and age is a brilliant thing, you know, I was always worried about getting older, but I think as you get older, you do you do get a different look at life you know I've got children now and, and things like that so you start looking and I think moving more towards that long-term planning mix you know can I see th- three years down the line can I see five years down can I see 10 years down the line um, and, and having a plan for that And and for me that's one of the biggest challenges for us at the moment we've got so much potential and we could do so much but it's realistically, how do, we, how do we put that into place and how do we make that happen? And how do we get everybody in the organisation bought into that and, and can see the vision and where we're going? And, and I think you mentioned, you know, leadership. You know, I'm, I'm not a great leader by any stretch of the of imagination. I'm a much worse manager, let's put it that way. But for me, leadership is is trying to create something better that people can see and believe in and then helping them and give them the tools to get there and and as we said before letting them make mistakes and things like that my biggest challenge at the moment and and it's it's possibly something that relates to other industries i think it will be within our industry in particular is finding the people that can take you there it's a massive massive problem so from my point of view there's two sides to it one is finding people that can actually do what we do there's no youngsters coming into our um, industry um, you know it's not glamorous it's not sexy you know it's it's not um, you know something that really is is appealing to a, to a lot of younger people um, so it's it's really trying to get people coming into the business one of the big problems I've found is that there is no qualification within our industry, really. So for instance, if you were gonna have somebody to come and service your boiler at home this afternoon and a plumber came or a gas engineer come, you would want them probably to be Corgi registered or whatever the, um, you know, the up-to-date current standard is for you know servicing boilers. If you took your children into hospital, you'd probably want to know that the doctor was certified um, you know, and had a, had a doctorate and a PhD and all this and, and was competent. Within our industry, I can take somebody off the street and I can train them for, you know, 12 months, 18 months, two years. And then I can let them size valves for a nuclear power station or a, um, you know, a submarine or a chemical industry, etc. With no qualification whatsoever. You know, accountants have to have qualifications, dentists, doctors. um, So that's one problem for me at the moment is that there's no real training program or things that people could buy into. And I know there's a lot of people out of work at the moment. I know there's a lot of people losing their jobs and being furloughed, but there's no entryway to get into our industry. You can't, you know, my friend wanted, he was out of work and he wanted to be a plasterer. So he paid a couple of thousand pounds and he went on like an eight week plastering course. And at the end, he's qualified as a plasterer. He set his own business up and he can go and plaster people's houses and earn a living. If you want to get into the valve industry, there's no real way to get into the valve industry. You can apply, You know, you might have a like, you might have an engineering qualification or you might have a like type qualification that may have some transferables, but you can't really say, well, look, so a lot of it goes down on experience. But then again, you get two people who are good candidates for the job, but they've got no way of clarifying or classifying how well trained they are. You know, somebody could say, well, I'm I'm qualified to valve level six. And the other person says, well, I'm only qualified to valve level one that gives you a way to do it. So to get over this, I've actually started a new company called the Valve Academy. And we're actually trying to, um, it's an e-learning platform. And we just started off with one module at the moment, which is Valve Fundamentals. And people can go on there, they can buy the course, and it gives them Valve Fundamentals. So when they go to a, so if, if, if you, for instance, Ben, wanted to get into the Valve industry, you could do that course. And at least you could say to the employee, then look, I've took some time. And I've done this little course. It's not much, but it's an entry level. And I've got I'm some worth to you now. I've got a little bit of value. So that's what we're doing with that to try to solve that problem. The other problem I have, and I think this is the thing that I think goes across every industry and will hopefully be relate- relatable to some of your listeners, is people don't seem to want to work on themselves. They seem to want to do a job, but they don't want to make themselves better, or they don't know... Sorry, they don't know how to make themselves better, if that makes sense. You know, and, and Jim Rohn, who's a, a, a great speaker, I've got a lot of his stuff. You know, he says, if, you know, if you work on a job, you'll make some money. If you work on yourself, you'll make a fortune. You know, but it's, you know, when people come for interviews, it's like, what was the last business book you read? What was the last podcast you listened to? What was the last training course you went on? You know, what are your four or five business goals that you're looking to work towards? What are your four or five self-improvement goals that you're looking to work towards? You know, most of them will come up and say, oh, I'm trying to lose a bit of weight or I'm trying to give up smoking or anything. But there's not many people that are trying to make themselves better. And that comes through in the level of employees that you get, you know. And don't get me wrong, we always need the people that want to come at nine o'clock in the morning and check out at five o'clock. And that's absolutely fantastic. You know, industry, industry, The world needs those kind of people. And there's a lot of people that just think, yeah, I just want to do my job. I want to go in the morning, go home at night, switch off, and I'm going to go do something because I'm much more interested in that. But the people we need to build the future need more than that, you know, and they need to think differently and they need to be, as you say, willing to fail and willing to make mistakes and willing to fail forward. You know, I'm only better at this than somebody else because I failed more times than somebody else has. You know, that's, that's it. You know, we have a saying here in the community, anybody who can make a mistake that I've not already made, I'm going to give them a prize because I've, I've made them all, you know, it's not because I'm wiser or I'm more intelligent or I'm smarter. I've just done more of it and failed more times. I think, you know, um, when Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, you know, I think it's his thousandth and one go at it. People think he just invented the light bulb. It failed a thousand times before. So from that point of view, for me, it's it's those two things. One for my industry is that there's no real way to get good trained, good caliber people. And then the other thing is the people that we've got and every other organisation has got is what can we put in place to develop them and help them grow and and make them better. And and for me as a leader, if if that's the right term, that's really what I'd like to I'd like to. You know, it's, it's not good me being fantastic. I need every, all my team to be fantastic and everybody in their business needs all their team to be fantastic. And that's really the biggest challenge for us at the moment is who can pick up the, the baton and run the next bit and pass it on to somebody else. Because in the early days, as you said, the first three, four, five years, you can do it all yourself. And then you realize that staying up till one o'clock in the morning doing invoices is not the right thing, or coming in at four o'clock in the morning to build valve packages up is not the right thing. And that's when you stop doing the job and you start and you say, right, I need somebody to do this and I need somebody to do that. And and my goal really here now is to work myself out of a job. And I I joke with the the team here, you know, when all the positions are filled that you don't need me, that's where I'm that's where I'm going with it. But we do need people to pick up the, you know, the man and, and the younger ones especially you know your future is so bright but you've got to invest in yourself and and trying to get that switched on them is it's a challenge it's a challenge and and that's you know that's where we are at the moment
0: well I, th- I think everybody listening to this would agree that you you said you you didn't think you were a good leader or you were I think that's nonsense <laughs> Steve everything you've just said is exactly what a leader should be in my eyes and it's exactly why I started the podcast to to meet people at you and to try and um, demonstrate to other people that really it doesn't matter about the industry it doesn't really matter about the the products you sell or the services you provide because it's the lessons and the sort of the business acumen if you like that we need to share and those those stories that you're talking about about how you learn then how to be a better leader and now as you say you're you're trying to make that investment in other people easier for them to make for themselves and that's just really really exciting I think you should be absolutely commended oh, thank and you. you know I really really appreciate your time coming along and I, I'm really really enjoyed that conversation so thank you so much for coming that's on to the has been podcast.
1: great thank, thanks for having me
0: my pleasure well take care and all the best with all your endeavors thanks Ben take thanks care take care bye thank you for listening to that episode of The Imperfect Brand. I I absolutely loved that conversation. I think it's definitely one of the best podcasts I've had so far, best podcast guests I've had so far. Steve just opened up on a level that I think is relevant to anybody in any business, almost in any role in a business. And the experiences that he shared there, I just think have that that application across the board. I said it in the podcast interview, but this is why I started doing this thing, because it was interesting to talk with Steve about um, what he might share on the podcast and the topics we might cover. And I've had this with other guests, that people are worried that it will be too much about their industry. They're worried that, um, or they're just, you know, concerned that they might not be interesting enough for me because they're talking about their company or their industry. But I think what came out in this interview, as many other interviews I've done, but certainly here with Steve, is that it's the experience of starting a business, running a business, elevating a business, enhancing a business. Those are the lessons that transcend any kind of industry barrier or category description what Steve was talking about is valid across all businesses, that all businesses have these challenges, all businesses face these issues. Um, And, you know, the truth is not all business leaders are tackling them in as progressive and as positive a way as Steve is doing. And he is exactly the kind of person I wanted to to share with the world and get out there because people need to hear these kind of um, experiences, need to hear these these sort of people talk about what they've been through and what they've learned and I hope that in between my waffling that Steve's been able to to reach out and and help you understand something and help you see something and that you've learned something from what what Steve had to say because I know I did and as I say I really really enjoyed that so thank you very much Steve and thank you uh, for listening I've got nothing more valuable to add other than than the thank you. And I look forward to um, you coming back for the next interview. And of course, Forza. Forza, everybody. Until next time.